0: Welcome to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. Today is October 4th, 2016, and I'm your host, William Hill. In today's edition, we're going to do, it's going to be a shorter uh, version of the podcast and and somewhat of a public relations type move. Um, We want to talk about a, a, a journal, a theological journal, with Dr. Nick Wilborn. He's the adjunct professor of church history at Greenville Seminary, and we've had him on in the past, I think it was a year ago or so, uh, to talk about this, but we want to do it again and highlight uh, the work that the Confessional Presbyterian is doing. And those of you who listen to this program know this, this journal, but uh, maybe you don't. And so we're going to talk with Dr. Wilborn about this uh, theological journal. So, Dr. Wilborn, it's great to have you on. I know you're very busy, as am I. And, um, so, but it's good to be able to talk with you again and about something that you're very actively involved in. Yeah, it's good to be with you, Bill. Always yep. good to hear your voice. Yes, you too. Now, what exactly is your role? Well, first, what is the Confessional Presbyterian? Let's start there.
1: Well, you know, the Confessional Presbyterian started, oh goodness, 12, almost 13 years ago now, and we didn't know at the time how it would be received, uh, how long it would last, but uh, each year, uh, it's uh, it's grown as far as interest and, uh, the reception. And, uh, and so, uh, Chris Colwell down in the Dallas, Texas area is, uh, the general editor. Uh, I have, uh, two brothers, uh, Jim Cassidy and Jeff Waddington who are, uh, are co-editors with me on the articles. So we work in trying to, uh, seduce, uh, uh able men to write uh, articles uh, for our for our little enterprise. And then uh, Glenn Clary, who's a minister down in Austin, Texas, uh, uh, is uh, overseeing the reviews section for book reviews and the like. And so uh, we have a number of contributing editors, men who uh, who come alongside and not only contribute occasionally articles, but uh, also are, are there to take the pieces that are submitted and provide some peer review uh, for those to be sure that uh, that uh, the things that go out are uh, in good order and rightly represent what uh, what they claim to be representing, and so uh-huh. we're trying our best not to just uh, not to be an internet uh, tweet, Facebook dump place for anybody's opinions and so uh,
0: yeah that's very common these days isn't it all you need is a keyboard and a computer and you can pretty much spout off whatever comes to your mind right. Wh- yeah. which really raises an interesting question when we're talking about theological journals in general and more specifically the confessional presbyterian what makes a theological journal a good theological journal as opposed to something that just you know it may be it's in publication but it's not as it's not good. It, it, it's not as good as it could be.
1: Yeah. Well, golly, I wasn't expecting that question, but uh,
0: you know. I wasn't expecting to ask it until just a second ago. So <laughs> different
1: journals have different purposes, and uh, and a number of, of, of theological journals do a good job uh, reaching the end of what they. Plan to do what they're set. They've set out to do. Uh, some are more academically oriented. Some are uh, more popular in their orientation. Uh, when when we started this one, the idea was to have. Uh, well, this you know we have a little. Um, it's not a subtitle to our journal, but it's it's an explanation line. Uh, It's it's titled The Confessional Presbyterian but then we say it's a journal for discussion of Presbyterian doctrine and practice. And so our intent was to have a journal that was good uh, academically but particularly it was useful to the church whether it be the local church, the presbytery, uh, even to general assembly level, that there'd be articles there that would, that would relate to matters of the church from historical perspective, biblical, theological perspective. And, uh, and that, that's what we've maintained through the years. We always try to have a little uh, sub-theme. It doesn't always uh, um, equal... Every article is on that sub-theme, but there's usually a small, at least a small number of the articles relate to that theme. Mm. And and the others may be totally unrelated. But, uh, uh, for instance, in the most recent one, uh, Edition 12, which came out uh, in uh, May of this year, 2016, we uh, we wanted to focus on the issue of the Sabbath, and in fact, uh, we were able to gather together uh, several articles, uh, and so the entire edition, each article is specific to the Sabbath discussion, and uh, and so I'll, I'll survey that a little bit for us, but. But that's our aim: is is for it to, to not, not just be dealing with the most current academic questions or academic concerns. You know, a few years ago, uh, a number of the more academic journals uh, were just uh, pretty much devoted to either the pros or cons of the new perspectives. hmm
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and and before that it was uh, Clark Pinnock and and uh, Greg Boyd and those fellows with the open theism issue Mm -hmm. and so a lot of the those so while we don't mind having articles on the the current academic question that bleeds down obviously to the church and We will do that uh, from time to time uh, we're 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 really focused more on what's going on within the church more than what's going on within the academy, and sometimes those overlap and sometimes they don't so much.
0: Well, when you use when you you're using language that I understand and maybe a, host, a handful or a number of my listeners the listeners would as well. But when you say the academy, what do you mean?
1: Yeah, well, I'm talking about out in the uh, either the university. Uh, or the seminary context, where uh, where men are, are engaging day in and day out in matters of of uh, more shall we say technical mm-hmm. issues mm-hmm. of theology or biblical studies.
0: So you would say that the, the, the confessional Presbyterian. Target audience then is not just the pastor, isn't just the ruling elders, isn't just the theologians, but it's it's for the church. It's the layman could read it and benefit greatly from it.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and you know, our confession says that uh, while the scriptures are clear, and I'm paraphrasing chapter one here, but while the scriptures are clear, uh, we recognize that not all of scripture is as clear as other scripture, and so. Uh, it has to be interpreted by the, the clearer passages, mm-hmm. and 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 so jump into this edition of the Confessional Presbyterian. Some of these are are, are very, um, shall we say, non-technical. Uh, for instance, one of my colleagues, one of your professors, uh, Ryan McGraw at at uh, Greenville Seminary has a nice little popular piece, what should a typical Sabbath look like and why? Mm-hmm. Uh, just very much a, you know, oh, so that would be a normal Sabbath day uh, if you're living uh, a what we believe to be a biblical and Westminsterian uh, approach to the Sabbath, the Lord's Day. And then there's a more technical piece. Uh, from another one of my colleagues. I don't always have colleagues writing in the confessional, but this time happen to have two, uh, Ben Shaw, uh, the Old Testament rabbi. Yeah. Uh, And his piece is Leviticus 23 and the Christian Sabbath. And there he goes through the minutia of Leviticus 23, relating, and, and some of the listeners will be quickly aware of this, uh, and others may have to go read, but uh, we have this eighth day that comes around in the feast and festivals, mm-hmm. And what is that? And Doctor Shaw works you through those and shows. And we had actually two peer readers read on this one, Old Testament biblical theology, men, to uh, to 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 help be sure we made this article as as clear and as uh, biblically, theologically accurate as possible. Dr. Shaw did a great job uh, pointing us to the Lord's Day from that eighth day uh, and how that it's prefigured. You know, we often talk about the ceremonial laws, uh, the sacrifices, uh, all those things prefiguring the Savior. Uh, Sometimes we remember to say that, the Old Covenant people prefigured the New Covenant people. Uh, We should say that. We don't always do it as faithfully. Uh, We don't always talk about all those passages in the Old Testament that that prefigure the coming of the Holy Spirit in fullness Mm which took place at Pentecost. But this is one of those that you seldom hear anyone pay attention to and mention that here in the context of the old covenant there was a, a foreshadowing if you will or a a, a a typical look forward to the transition from seventh day Sabbath to first day Christian Sabbath and so uh, that's a wonderful article and yet it's it's more technical it, it's something that pastors may want to digest and then uh, you know, repeat to their people, but a number of number of people in the church could, could read it as well. Sure. So so we we try to we try to do a lot there with with uh, from the very practical to to the more technical pieces. Yep.
0: Now, what exactly is your role in um, bringing this uh, publication? It's released once a year, right? Yep. And so, what's your role?
1: Um. Mine, along with uh, Jim Cassidy and Jeff Waddington, is is to uh, find people who are, who we know write well and have contributions to make, and encourage them to to produce good articles for us. And then uh, uh, we we take the role of, of of editor. That is to oversee. First, uh, is this something that's up to snuff is it quality uh, for our our journal and give it a general overlook and spot those things that send you know send it back and say look we like it we want it but you know what uh, you got some style and form stuff to work on here plus uh, once you get in a little better shape we want to get it to a peer reader um, to look at, that's our role. And then once they do those initial things, we then get it on to a uh, uh, to the to the better eyeballs to to look at everything for jots and tittles to be sure, uh, not only from the content standpoint, but also for uh, for form and style, so it so it so it looks pretty when it gets out there.
0: Yeah, it's it's very well done. Uh, you know in, in every aspect. I mean, I have um, I just perused my shelves here, and sad to say, I only have nine of the twelve. I don't. I thought I had them all, so I don't know what happened. But maybe I, I thought wrong. <laughs> you, we still have stock
1: available of volumes two through twelve, um, and those are priced really good. So I would encourage people. You know those won't always last. Uh, I know that we've sold since this edition came out in May. We've sold several complete sets. That is complete two through twelve. Mm. Volume one has been depleted, and uh, uh, it's it's probably uh, probably one that I would personally love to see us do another short run of those to make available to fill out some of these sets with. But uh, that's I'll leave to to my brothers to, to think about as well.
0: I did have one personal question about, well, of course it's a personal question because I'm going to ask it, but it's it was personally motivated by me one day I was working and um, on something, I don't remember exactly what, and I thought, boy, it really would be nice to have an electronic copy of this journal um, instead of having to pull it off my shelf and then type up, you know, prop it up there and type out the information I wanted to type up. And and um, and I asked, uh, I don't know, owner, <laughs> publisher, uh, right. yep. Chris, Chris Caldwell, I asked him if there was ever uh, any thought to, to releasing these in PDF formats for those who obviously have paid for the hard copy. I'm not, I'm not obviously advocating PDF-only versions. Um, and so... He said no. I'm just wondering what's your thought on that, not to p- play you off against him, but do you, do you we live in such a heavily driven, digitally driven world um, with e-readers and all this business that yeah. I'm not completely sold out on, but I know a lot of people who are. Um, so yeah, I'm,
1: I um, I think right now all, all of us uh, at the confessional, are pretty much of the same mind on that, uh, and for n- numerous reasons. But
0: uh, and now, the some, o- and well, some, the other the other interesting part too is 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 the confessional Presbyterian does it have an ISBN number? Is it registered with the um, Library of Congress? Yes. Okay, that's yeah. that's good because for citing purposes, that's obviously very helpful if you're doing research and you're going to use it to cite various material but uh but but it is it's an excellent journal um i have a number i i have a number of journals on my shelves um but it is but i think by far um at, at the top of the list as far as quality the way it's done um and it's attractive to the to the point of not just speaking to pastors or theologians but it's doing it's really accomplishing both and um as dr wilburn's just highlighted there's there's articles that are very Practical in nature, and then there's ones that are a little more technical in nature.
1: As let me, well, let me jump in and 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 give just a few here because I think, you know, the Lord's Day is such a neglected day.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, you know, it's easy to joke and say, well, you know, a lot of people treat it like the Lord's hour, uh, and that's sadly the case. Um, we have a nation that. Uh, that has seen a a, a radical decline in morality uh, over the past uh, many years and uh, I'm curious if it's not uh, not closely related to the decline of the Lord's Day observance among Christians and and with the uh, getting into a into the civil side of things, the the removal of the blue laws that that came uh, through the '60s, '70s, '80s, '90s, to where now you talk about blue laws—that is, there'd be no Sunday sales, right? Uh, and people look at you; they're not—they don't even know what you're talking about. That's such a thing of the past, um, but. Uh, you know, so many things drive this. Uh, you know, is it a delight, as the scriptures say it is, or is it a dilemma for people? And I find people generally are not in a dilemma over it. They've, they have no real concept for it. I'm also convinced that folks haven't truly biblically de- uh, uh Folks who haven't truly biblically delighted in the Sabbath, uh, they're the ones that are ambivalent or even anti-Sabbath because they've not experienced it. They've not enjoyed it. Right. And I'm convinced if they did, then they would find what a wonderful gift this is from the Lord uh, to give us both a spiritual retreat as well as a physical retreat a retreat uh, one day of the week. Uh, And then sometimes the problem is just blatant rebellion. Who's God to tell me how to spend a day?
0: Mm.
1: Uh, And yet, you know, that day more than any other day is designed to prepare us and make us fit for heaven. And, um, and so I try to, remind people of that. It was not given, as Jesus said in the in the Gospels, it was not given to be an onerous thing on man. It was given for man's good. And so uh, then people raise issues like, uh, well, you know, the New Testament just doesn't say much about the Sabbath. So <laughs> right. you know, wasn't that an Old Testament thing? Wasn't that a, a part of the law? And didn't that pass away? And of course, that's confusing, moral and ceremonial. But sadly, some theologians dismiss the fourth commandment as, as being part of the ceremonial law rather than the, the abiding moral law. But we have a, for instance in this edition on page two hundred six the fourth commandment annulled or sustained? And so it's it's the question of did Christ annul it or did he sustain it? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and particularly the end of Mark 2 and the beginning of Mark chapter 3. Uh, and then you've got some people who come at it and say, well, you know, I hold a continental view. Now, some of the hearers and readers our list, listeners. Uh, nobody's reading this, but uh, some of our listeners might say continental view. What's that? Well, that's 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 often a, a smokescreen that's thrown up there. To say no, I'm not Westminsterian. I'm, I don't follow the Westminster Confession and catechisms on this. I follow the continental view, and that's supposed to be the end of the story. And so that
0: well, I, yeah, be- yeah, and they they even go further sometimes. I've actually, and as I'm sure you have, experienced on the floor of Presbyterian where men will say, "Well, I I take the position Calvin did on the Sabbath." Right.
1: And so in this edition, we have uh, we have two. Two pieces. One on page 149, John Calvin, the nascent Sabbatarian, a reconsideration of Calvin's view of two key Sabbath issues. Uh, And then there's also uh, on page uh, 173, uh, uh, Danny Hyde does a really fine article on the Synod of Dort. That's a continental um, piece of work. And what they say about the Sabbath. And, uh, so it's, you know, we address those issues, uh, about the question of delighting in the Sabbath page 142, the Christian Sabbath destiny or drudgery. In other words, I mean, is the Sabbath what we're made for, or is it something we should dread? Right. Right. And the answer in the scripture is this is this is what God's made us for. He's made us to to enjoy Him and to and to, to live in rest. That's you know that's part of how our catechism defines faith is resting and receiving. And uh, the Sabbath beautifully portrays that. Um you, know, you have the thing of, well, what about I just can't hold to the Recreation Clause, some people say. And if your listeners aren't familiar with the Recreation Clause, then go to the uh, Catechisms and and look in the section on on that and read about it. And there's confusion on that. And this article does a wonderful job of dealing uh, with the Recreation Clause and the biblical basis for no recreation. And then... Explaining what it doesn't mean, which, uh, by the way, just to throw a note out there, our own Dr. Joseph Piper and his little book on the Lord's Day does a wonderful job walking people through the practical what that clause doesn't mean. Because so many people think, oh, no recreation, that means we have to sit in a chair and read a book all day long. Uh, We can't even go for a walk in God's creation. And that's not what it meant originally, and it's not how we should apply it today. Right. And so that's this article helps with that as well.
0: And that's a really it's, time timeless article too, be, uh, in light of the the debate in, in because that, as you well know, and as I've witnessed for the last four or five years, men coming to be ordained um, often take that exception. That's one of the prevailing exceptions that they take and so that's a very helpful article to to flesh out the reality of what it actually means is and, and and instead of what people think it actually means and yep. really detailing it correctly um i, I mentioned calvin calvin's view earlier uh, i was recently in a press meeting where a candidate transferring in from another press jury, was being examined on his views and he said i take the calvin position and i thought to myself well that be that as it may, Calvin's not being examined. Um, so, but go read Deuteronomy five. His sermons on Deuteronomy five, and I think you'd find that it, his view is pretty close to Westminster's, and it evolved over time. But I, but you know, it's always yeah. the same old thing. You know, it's. Um, you know, Dr. Dick Gaffin,
1: uh, emeritus at Westminster, Philly, mm-hmm. uh, wrote that wonderful little book a few years ago, Calvin and the Sabbath, where yep. he he deals with that very issue and shows that you really don't want to do that. Uh, Calvin Calvin's not the lightweight on the Sabbath that, um, sadly, he's been portrayed to be over the years. So, That's correct. Yep. Anyway, I think as you can see, we also have a also have a piece on what does Westminster say about the Sabbath and is it legalistic. And it shows, uh, I think convincingly, that no, it, this is not a legalistic document. This is a document that's good for your soul, good for your body, and it helps you set parameters for n- nourishing and nurturing your soul and your body. And so, uh, it's a, that's a good piece as well. Is the Westminster Confessions Doctrine of the Sabbath a Judaizing doctrine? And the answer, of course, is no.
0: So, So, turning the corner a little bit from this edition, it's been out since May. um, Are you at liberty? Actually, I think I've seen highlights of what's coming up in the future. Are you at liberty to talk about that?
1: uh, Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, We're early, but uh, we're we're trying to draw uh, articles that relate to the Reformation in general. Mm. Uh, As as you know, we're approaching... uh, 2017 and if you take 2017 minus 1517 that makes for a nice round year since uh, October 31st 1517 when Luther nailed the theses to the door and uh,
0: that would be was, 500 years for those who can't do math really quickly
1: yeah and um. <laughs> so, uh, thank you
0: you're welcome. Um, yeah, no, that, in fact, in fact, you know, um, didn't want to limit it
1: just to Luther because there were so many men at work. It was not just Luther, although we owe a great debt to Luther. But, uh, you know, it, it's going to be open to papers broader than just Luther.
0: Yeah, it's, it, I'm looking It'll forward to that. On, and it's
1: on reformation, uh,
0: contributions. And since this is a podcast of Greenville Seminary, that gives me the opportunity to, to say that the Spring Theology Conference for the Seminary is going to be also on Luther 500 years um, since he did nail the 95 Theses to the Door at the Wittenberg Castle Church. And so um, it's I think we're going to see a lot of that next year from various conferences, various uh, materials. I've already seen some coming out from RHB and other places that are starting to ramp up to highlight the 500th year, the dawn of the protestant reformation even though as you've already noted it he probably there's guys that preceded him that definitely sent shockwaves out earlier but um he gets the credit and probably rightly so but be that as it may so that's going to be the so you're going to have a cover picture of luther on the cover <laughs> uh no
1: no actually it's not but i'm not going to tell you who it is um,
0: if i guessed it would you tell us uh no. Okay, fine. I won't try to guess then. We could be here all day. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's right. <laughs> exactly.
0: But you know what? One thing I have noticed about the um, Confessional Presbyterian is that it's gotten better in over time too. Um, at the, I'm looking at my nine editions. I need to get the other ones, but I'm looking at the my nine. And, and number one is pretty is thin. I mean, it's it was the first one, and it's much thinner. And as they go along, they they get consistently the same size i mean the other ones all look just by sight they all look much thicker and um because there's so much more material and of course that's more widely received and which really leads to the next question how what's been the response to this now that you've done 12 of these um from the general public the church the general public in general in general (laughs) that's redundant yeah well you mentioned you know the first volume being
1: thinner than the others but I think what happened there was that uh, there was some fun made about about Texas, and of course, you know everything in Texas is bigger. So because it's published in Texas, somehow it got into the the psyche of 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 (laughs) Arizona. It should be bigger.
0: I hate to laugh. That's but that is funny.
1: Um, Yeah. I hate no, the, I'm joking that has nothing to do with it I don't
0: think. I hate to burst the Texans bubble but That's right. you know if I chopped Alaska in half Texas would be the third biggest state in the nation
1: yeah so uh, uh, what was your question I was thinking of my joke
0: yeah how, how well has it been received yeah um, and what's no. the what's the publication um, what's the uh, what's the word I'm looking for uh subscriber level if you know that
1: yeah and I, and I should but I don't Uh, but I know that it's, uh, it's obviously, um, we're still around. So it's, it's, it's become something that, uh, has shown us over the years that it ought to be there. And, and so we've been able to sustain it, uh, because it's, because we've, we've been encouraged by that. And, and it's, it's, you know, the encouragement comes from all over. Um, I was, um. I was up at Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary teaching in May when this edition, volume 12, came out. And um, I walked into the bookstore just browsing. And um, I walked over to, to the counter to buy a book. And um, I'd never seen this. Young fellow before, and I just said, uh, Hi there. I introduced myself, you know, I'm a Southerner, so I introduced myself and I uh, used my full name. <laughs> uh, my, my dad always told me, You know, when you introduce yourself, you know, always give them your last name, that's proper. And uh, my father in law now. Uh, when he meets some young person, they just introduce themselves by their, their first name. He'll say, what's your last name? I might have money that belongs to you, but I wouldn't know unless you tell me.
0: <laughs>
1: so there are a lot of reasons to use your full name.
0: Well, I stopped doing that because every time I say, hi, I'm William Hill, every, the next question I get from people in Presbyteria or in the church that, that knows anything about the church is... Um, are you related to William E. Hill, the great evangelist? I'm yeah. like, uh, no. Before they even get it out of their mouth, I'm usually intercepting it and saying, no, no, no religion. He was a southerner, and I was, a, I'm a northerner. Uh, yeah. Anyway, but, but you it's could good aspire. advice. It's good advice. It's good it manners. Is. It's good
1: manners. But, but back to the point. Um, it's. Uh, I go up to the counter and and I said, Hi, I'm Nick Wilborn, and he said, I, I uh, oh okay. And I said, uh, yeah, I know you have no reason of who I am. He said, no, I do. You, you're one of the editors of the confessional Presbyterian. No, so that, that's great. Have you seen the new volume? And I said, well, yeah, actually, actually, I have seen it. And uh, he said, well, thanks. Said uh, we, we, we appreciate it a lot and said, uh, my pastor used to read it before I came to seminary. And I used to he used to tell me, show me articles, and have me read articles as I was preparing to come to seminary. So, you know, I, I think that's um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: a, a great little story just to indicate that it's it's getting. It,
0: well, please tell me they were selling course. it there too.
1: Uh, uh, they were okay. Yeah,
0: and, and you know, and and and, and many listeners, uh, perhaps the latest edition, the twelfth edition, uh, perhaps um, they have. A copy of that twelfth edition, because of the generosity of Chris Caldwell, Doctor Wilborn, and others who were just giving them away. Um, General Assembly, should I have said that? Was that? Season? Yeah. General yeah. Assembly, oh. um, the Greenville Seminary booth had a, bo- a box of them there, and they were they just they, they were gone in no time. Toof, they gone. Yeah,
1: they they were given away at the uh, Associate Reform Synod this year. Uh, they were given away at. Uh, the Orthodox Presbyterian Church uh, General Assembly and uh, a couple of other venues. So we're, uh, you know, our thing is to get it out there, and if it promotes sales, that'd be wonderful too. But mainly to to be a to be a light for the church.
0: Absolutely. That's not to say they're going to do that every year, but uh, um, but it has been widely received if you follow social media. Um, as I do. I don't, Dr. Wilborn doesn't, um, I don't think, um, but I do. And um, whenever a new edition comes out, people are raving about it and recommending it and talking about it. And so that's word of mouth. Advertising is the best kind. And uh, yes. so, um, so we can look forward to the new one. Are, is it going to be number 13 or are you it guys will. superstitious?
1: Uh, no, we're, you know, <laughs> That's we, kind, we of don't a dumb, have, that kind of a dumb question. We might even we might even give it a black cover. Who knows? Oh no! With a oh. ladder leaning up on the on the front page. So that's or,
0: what's going to be on the cover: a, a ladder with a black cat walking underneath it. That's right. I got gotcha. you. Eh, whatever. Uh, <laughs> if, I, if if I, the I, listeners are interested in um, getting any of the back copies, except for a dish, for, for volume number one, um, it's very simple. You can go to the website, the Confessional Presbyterian website. Either Google it. Or you can just go to CPJ, I'm sorry, CPJournal.com. Very simple. And you can uh, pay for it right there. There's a shopping cart. It's all secure. Um, You can read more about it, um, the overall project um, and the various. uh, um, And I think if I remember correctly, I'm, I'm looking at the website, but I don't have time to go through every aspect of it. But if I remember correctly, each edition has the table of contents there on the website so you can see what's in it. Um, so okay. if you want to buy only a few instead of all um, particular interest, you have that option. So there's many different ways of doing this, but um, but I would encourage it. I, I Like I said, I have nine of them. That's not to say that the other three aren't any good. I just didn't get them for whatever reason. Um, but I will, now that I'm reminded of that. Um, and I would encourage you to do it. It's, it's a fantastic... A resource, and, and, it, and again, it appeals to both. It's not just for pastors or theologians. Um, there's enough of those journals out there. Um, this one does both, and it's well done. Peer review, we didn't really talk about what that is, but that just means other people... Well, we did kind of talk about it. Yeah. Other people check up I, on their work.
1: And I can't say enough about this edition. I, it, I, I think it's just so good for the church. Um, we're so cheating our people out of the out of the beauty of Christ and His His grace, by neglecting this day that the Lord's given us, and I think some As I've already said, so many of these articles show us not only the validity of that day being a perpetual day on this earth, pointing us forward, leading us on to the to the new heavens and new earth and the glory there, but uh, articles that that de- defend it from various attacks and uh, and then give us the practical
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, practical outworking of it as well so uh if, if you don't buy any other volumes this one is one i think that the church would would be well uh served by having and reading and you know uh your week's going to go as your Lord's day goes. And if your Lord's day is full of self, the week will be full of self and the scriptures are clear that that's a dead end. Yep. And, uh,
0: so with the emphasis on the dead part, yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and I, and I'm convinced I've told my congregation this, I've told other people this, um, but we look at the state of the church in the United States specifically, and we wonder why. And I think this is one of those reasons. Uh, we just don't take seriously the Lord's Day. And because we don't, yeah. here's what happens. Uh, the whole. Hey, tell them what
1: we're going to talk about next time.
0: Yes. So next time, when, when Dr. Wilborn gets a free minute in his life, um, we're going to sit down with him again um, and talk with him about the parish model of ministry. It is... Um, we were going to try to do that today, uh, but we, I think, both agreed that it would be foolhardy to even try. Um, it's a very rich subject. It's one that's very near and dear to Dr. Wilborn's heart. It's very near and dear to mine, so I, I'm i looking forward to that conversation, just both as a student learner and one who's passionate about it. Um, and so in the weeks to follow, whenever we can get a chance, we're going to talk with him about that, um, that particular subject and uh, the different nuances that are contained within it. That that does that cover it? <laughs> I think it did. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, you know, this is not a prayer meeting,
1: but let me let me throw this out because it's so much on my heart and mind. I mean, I'm uh, I'm on chapter three of a book that I'm writing on on the diaconate, but it's it's a it's a bigger book than that. It, it's more about it's about the diaconate, but it's about the church as a as a caring and compassionate
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, body. And um, and so if, if if those folks listening uh, would pray, and yes, somebody's going to email me and say, you know, we'd love to get Jericho book first. Uh, I'm working on that too. God's blessed me. I have an associate pastor now, and
0: well, they weren't going to email you. I was just going to ask you right here and now. Where's the Jaredo <laughs> so They're they're both they're both going. I'm and so thankful for that. I read your dissertation on Jaredo and I'm sure it's going to be expanded beyond even that. And I'm I was so encouraged and edified by that dissertation that I can't wait for the book. Um, so so
1: both of those are, are are active. They're no longer sitting in my uh, on my hard drive and on on uh, back up backup someplace and uh, but but do pray about this one on the deacon and the ministry of the church I, I, I think it's uh, it's one that if you know anything about church politics these days in Presbyterian circles you know it's one that we need and if you try to find a book to help your your deacons uh, you know it's they're hard to find mm-hmm and so I, you know, I kept getting emails saying, you know, could could we use this article you published, and could we use this chapter you published, and you know, could you send us this and that? And I decided that um, I had so many requests that not, I just decided it was obviously what the Lord wanted me to do. So.
0: Well, we'll have to have you back on to talk about both of those subjects when they finally uh, see publication. Um, We probably don't have to wait for the Deacon one to see publication, because I know that's something that you've thought through for years and um, even spoke at one of our conferences years ago on this. I think you did, anyway, on this very subject. So, yeah, and I think you're right. I think that the Office of Deacon is neglected. Um, There's plenty of books out there on the Elder. Um, Not a whole lot on the Deacon. And
1: and there are some older books on the Deacon that I think are are quite fine, Um, but... Uh, the things more recently, I have a great concern that often the diaconate is a, uh, is a tool towards socialism, and it, that ought not to be, because it's, a, it's, a, it's an office of the Church, and uh, yep. we're, we're not the united way, and uh, we ought not to act that way. So, That's right. Anyway, we're well, all let me the, let you
0: run, Dr. Wilborn. I know you, you told me 11. It's 11:02, and I know you have a, an, a you need to scoot. But uh, this has been really informative and helpful. And I hope again, the listeners, if you want to um, secure one or all of these Confessional Presbyterian journals, then just Google Confessional Presbyterian, and it'll take you right to the website. You can buy them right there, and they'll be shipped to you um, forth forthwith. Is that, the, is that the right way? Is that the right word? I think so. Anyway, but but do avail yourself of these resources and consume them. Think through them. Drink it down. Um, it's great. So, Dr. Wilborn, again, it's, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. And thanks, Bill. God thanks, bless you. Man. Thanks for taking the time. And so until next time, for those who want to know what's coming up on the program, just go to our website, confessingourhope.com. So until next time, we thank you for listening to this particular edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Seminary.